everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Good Dude Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Thomas, and I appreciate y'all taking the time to listen. First off, I want to say thank you to everyone who has purchased a copy of my book, Providence at Lisa Christie. Um, I'm really proud of how it turned out, and, and I hope y'all enjoy the story and the characters as much as I enjoyed writing them. You know, if you've got some time, hop on Amazon and, uh, and leave a review, write a review. Let me know what you thought. Uh, you know, help me improve as a writer. I, this is something that, that I really feel like I need to be doing. So if, uh, if I can get better at it, then, then I definitely want to know how. So please let me know. Uh, but thank you again and look for more books to come. And for those of you that haven't ordered it yet, it's available on Amazon a paperback or a Kindle ebook. Uh, it's on Smashwords. It's on iBooks, pretty much wherever you want to look for it. So if you feel like you need to, or uh, if you just want to support me and, uh, and, and read a good story, you know, take a look at it. You might enjoy it. So today, I know I typically kind of stick to pretty lighthearted subjects. Uh, you know, I don't intend for this podcast to be super life-changing or, you know, gut-wrenching kind of type of journalism or anything like that. But, um, you know, this is something that, that really moved me the other day that I wanted to discuss because I think it's something that affects everybody to at least some degree. And I, and I think it's something that needs to be discussed or else, you know, we're just never going to get better. So I went to a, a conference recently um, about... Uh, it was actually the Florida Association of Counties. Um, so it was a lot of, of county personnel and, and engineers and, uh, you know, just different healthcare providers, stuff like that, that the counties work with. And the keynote speaker was actually Ryan Leaf. Um, so the only thing I remember about Ryan Leaf was that he played in the NFL for like a minute. He was drafted really high and then just kind of did nothing. So, um, that was all I remembered about him. I, I didn't know anything about his background or where he was from or anything else. But, you know, after I found out he was going to be a speaker, I thought that was kind of weird. I was like, well, what is, what is he speaking about? You know, what, why, what do we care about him? And, uh, and I looked into him and so, you know, a little bit of his background. So Ryan Leaf, um, is commonly referred to as one of the biggest NFL busts of all time. Um, he was a Heisman finalist in college. And drafted number two of overall to the San Diego Chargers, like right after Peyton Manning. So he was in really good company. But then just kind of did nothing. He he had one good, decent season, I guess, with the Chargers. And then just fell apart, bounced around the NFL for a while. Um, and then uh, then just kind of retired. Um, you know, to use his words, he said, he was like, I, I quit. I didn't, I didn't retire. Nobody retires at 28. He was like, I quit football. So, you know, it was... It was pretty interesting once he started speaking because he he went in a direction that I had no idea that that he had experienced. Um, so Ryan Leaf was a drug addict, um, and he was a drug addict not like heroin or crack or or cocaine necessarily. He was addicted to uh, pharmaceutical opiates, and that is a huge problem right now in our country. Um, you know, so codeine, hydrocodeine. Um, Laura tabs, all those things, you know, those, those are one of the biggest, biggest issues for, for drug addiction in our country right now. And they had some staggering statistics. You know, he said that every 11 minutes, someone overdoses 
from an opiate. And that is crazy. I mean, that is a crazy number to think about. But, you know, that's reality. And so his big movement now is to, you know, raise awareness, but then also to raise money so that every ambulance can have this drug. And I'm sorry, I do not remember the name of it. Um, but basically, it, it stops the effects of the overdose immediately and allows the person to be treated in a hospital and save their life. Um, so there is a treatment, there is something they can have, but it's not carried by every ambulance as of right now. And so he's really working for an organization, really working hard to try to get that information out there, make sure that hospitals and ambulance services are provided that, that requirements. And even going as far as to say other first responders might be able to start carrying it like police officers and firemen. So, um, you know, he's definitely got his head in the right place, but his personal story, I think, is what was so inspiring and so moving. Because, like I said, I, I had no idea of of any of this. You know, I just thought, okay, you know, yeah, he sucked in the NFL, but the guy's still a millionaire. He got like thirty five million dollars for six years of work. I mean, I'm pretty good. I think I can manage. You know, coming off of that, even if everybody did think I was terrible at the NFL, I I didn't care. Thirty five million dollars. Um, but uh, he said that. It, it wasn't. It was like giving a 13-year-old 35 million dollars because he had never really lived. He never really understood how to be a grown-up, um, you know. And he, and in his words, he said that he was never the person who ever experienced failure, so he never learned how to deal with that. Um, another thing I thought was really interesting about his backstory is, you know, he said. He, he came from a really good family, uh, <clears throat> parents still married. He's got, uh, I think, two brothers who are successful and, you know, are, are family men and, uh, you know, have careers. And he, he lived in a small town in Montana and, you know, there was no drug use there. You know, he, he was, you know, football star. So he kind of, he said he got away with a little bit, but, but he didn't really, he never he never was inclined to do any anything like that. He said he didn't have his first drink until he was 19. Um, he said he never took a drug until after he had to have surgery uh, when he was in college and they were prescribed and he didn't take any more than the actual prescription. And um, But he did say something that I thought was, was very interesting and I hadn't really thought about before. Um, he said, I was an addict long before I ever took a drug. And... That really resonated with me because I feel like it is a personality type. I feel like it is something that, you know, people are more or less inclined to. You know, I mean, you have people that can have a drink periodically and then you have people that, you know, if they have one drink, then they go off the deep end. And, um, you know, in, in the same way with without, with, with drugs and, and other things, too. I mean, it's not just just substances. I mean, you have people who have addictive personalities to all kinds of things. Um, so, you know, for him to say that was, was a very interesting way to kind of start the conversation because he said he didn't start taking drugs until he was, you know, in like 28. Um, but the fact that he never learned how to deal with failure or, or, or perceived failure because the guy had $35 million playing in the NFL. I mean, he, he was the number two draft pick, even if he didn't do anything else, that is an amazing success. And he couldn't accept that. And so the, the thought of failure was, was just eating away at him. Um, and he talks about when he, he first started to, uh, to take drugs, um, 
he said that he was at a, a fight, a boxing match in, in Las Vegas. And it was, it was about six months after he retired and they were announcing celebrities in the crowd. And he said they announced a couple other people before him. And then they announced him, you know, Ryan Leaf, uh, former number two draft pick in the NFL. And he said the entire crowd just booed, just, you know, audibly booed and hissed. And uh, he said that it just, it crushed him while he was there. And he was like, you know, I, I don't know why it felt that bad at the time because, you know, he'd been playing football his life. So people boo you when you play football. But he was like, at that moment, I felt like the entire world was coming down on him. Um, and he went to the after party and he was drinking, you know, and, and hanging out. And somebody came up to him and said, hey, do you want, you want some pills? And he said, I just didn't want to feel anything. He said, it wasn't like I was trying to feel happy or, or anything like that. I just didn't want to feel anything at all. And, uh, and so he said, yeah. And he started taking them. And he said, from that moment on, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They erased how he felt. They, it wasn't, it was, they didn't make him happy. They didn't make him feel better, but they just made him stop feeling. And that was what he wanted. And um, he also had a, another really interesting quote. He said that, he said, I was an egomaniac with a self-esteem problem. And uh, I thought, well, it's a funny play on words. It's absolutely true. He was desperate for attention, but never felt worthy, um, which as any you know, fairly intelligent person can, can ascertain after that, you're never going to succeed because you never feel like you're worth the attention, but you never can get enough attention. It's just a vicious cycle. And so the, the pills just became his life because it, when he would take the pills, he didn't, he didn't worry about it and he didn't, he didn't concern himself with it. Um, at that point, he just, he said it wasn't, it wasn't as much a jumping off a cliff as it was a slow spiral. Um, it just got progressively worse. And he said that, um, you know, living like you have $35 million dollars when you're not making any more money, uh, it runs out pretty fast. And he said that he was taking, you know, odd jobs. He was living in an apartment in his hometown in Montana. Um, and he had gotten to the point where he was, he would go visit friends he hadn't seen in a while. And then, you know, go to the bathroom and rifle through their medicine cabinet, steal their pills. And he would, he even got to the point where he was breaking into people's houses around town and and stealing their pills he also said that he went as far as to dress up like a walgreens employee and go to people's houses and tell them that he would dispose of their expired prescriptions and that's why he was sent there and you know just to get more drugs they, they were just became his entire life that was the his his day was whether he could or could not get those pills and that's all he was concerned about so he was arrested, obviously, a couple of times, um, you know, for burglary and narcotic possession. Then he was arrested like twice in 48 hours. It was almost like they let him go and they caught him right away again. And, uh, and he was he was put in jail. The, the judge, you know, really threw the book at him. And I had no idea. He was in prison for 32 months, you know, almost three years he was in prison. And I can't even fathom what that's like. I mean, you know, yeah, a lot of people go to prison. I get that. But, you know, coming from where he was, you know, at the top of the world as an NFL superstar to living in a prison cell for 32 months and, you know, just being disgusted with himself. He said he got up to 320 pounds 
Um, I mean, he's a big guy anyway, but that's well over, you know, well over 100 pounds what he should be. Um, and then he said he, he only went outside twice during that about 24 to 28 month period. He only went outdoors twice because he was just so depressed. And he brought up another good point that it never really occurred to me, but it makes sense when you think about it, is that, yeah, he didn't have the drugs anymore in his system or in his body, but that doesn't mean he wasn't an addict because he was still addicted to the way they made him feel in his heart and in his head and, and the way he thought. So he was still an addict because he never really resolved any of the issues. They just took the pills away and now he just had to be there. Yeah, they got out of his system, but he still needed them. Or so he thought. Um, what was interesting, he said that his cellmate was actually the one that kind of broke through to him. His cellmate was was a soldier, former soldier, um, came home on leave, was was in Iraq and came home on leave, had a couple too many drinks, got behind the wheel of his car and got in a car accident and killed somebody. And so he was in prison for manslaughter and, uh, you know, made a made a mistake. But. And he was he was serving it out. And, and he told Ryan, he said, you know, I'm going to be in here for the rest of my life. He said, but but you're not. You don't have to be. So you need to decide what kind of man you want to be when you get out of here. And he he really he said it wasn't that one conversation that just did the trick. You know, it was many, many conversations over a period of time and just constant bugging him and bugging him and bugging him that he finally came around. Um, but he finally talked him into going to the prison library to help a lot of the inmates learn how to read and learn to get their, you know, practice to get their GEDs. And at first Ryan had said that he, he didn't care. He, he was like, why am I bothering these, these guys, you know, they're worthless. They're, they're inmates. And, uh, then he finally realized the value in, in bettering yourself and striving for a goal and, and, and improving regardless of what the outcome is. It's, it's the struggle that counts. And so he started to realize that the, there was he found so much more value in teaching someone to read than he did, you know, making five million dollars to be the second string quarterback for, you know, whoever. And uh, and he said that that's what really changed my life and turned me around. You know, his another another great quote he made was that it's about consistency. You, you've got to show up every day. You don't have to be perfect every day and you don't have to do all the right things or know all the right answers, but you've got to keep showing up. You know, you've got to put in the time. And, and he said, that's a words that he lives by now, you know, going forward. And as soon as he got out of prison, he got a, a job, um, at, at a clinic, basically being an assistant counselor or whatever, you know, just kind of an odd job. He said, I, you know, I had more just, self-worth from my 15 out $15 an hour job than I ever did playing football. He's like, it, it was, it was astounding how much better I felt about myself from doing that every day, eight to five. than I did, you know, putting on a Jersey and running into a stadium. And I thought that was a, a really amazing thing to say, you know, because that's a dream. I mean, you know, every kid dreams about, you know, putting on a helmet and running out on an NFL football field. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's the best, right. But, you know, this guy is standing over here saying, look, man, I've done both. And, and that's just not the way it is. Um, you know, and then from there, he was talking to some of the people that he worked with and and kind of determining, OK, well, where do I go from here? You know, how can I affect change? How can I how can I help people more? And uh, he said that one of his mentors uh, told him something that was really interesting. 
you know, about him in particular, because he was a celebrity, you know, he, he does have a platform, people know him. And he said, look, you, you can't just hide. He said, once you accept your situation, you put yourself out there, you become a lighthouse. You don't see lighthouses running around the harbor looking for boats. They stand tall for all to see and come to them. So I thought that was a great quote. I think it's fantastic. You know, if, if, you've, if you've got something to say and you've got a light within you, you need to share it. You need to let people see it. You need to you need to put yourself out there so that people can come to you and maybe learn from your mistakes. And um, maybe you can be that person for somebody else. So I thought that was super cool and a, and a great quote. And I certainly wrote it down to keep, keep it in mind for later. Um, another thing that he said that really gets him through day to day, uh, because very similar to, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and some of the other programs, they teach you, you know, you're, you're an addict. You're always an addict. That's, that's who you are. Um, every day you make the decision to do the right thing. And he said, you know, the, the three words that he lives by are accountability, spirituality, and community. Uh, and, and I think those things are fantastic. I know those are three things that, that in my personal life are absolutely crucial to, I mean, not just success, but to feeling like you're a part of something, you know, if, if you're not holding yourself accountable, if other people aren't holding yourself accountable to a standard, then, you know, you're much more likely just to, to make all kinds of horrible decisions, you know. The, the community factor, having people around you with a common vision and a common goal, it just means the world. I mean, that's why that's why you see, you know, you have reunions for army units and you have, um, you know, CrossFit classes are so huge because you have a group of people that you suffer with that you're trying to, to get to a place. You know, you have uh, mommies groups, you know, or whatever they're uh, like mops and things where women can come together and talk about, you know, their struggles with the kids and, you know, how to help each other. And, you know, you have church groups that, you know, talk about Christ and God and how we can help each other get to where we need to be. So the community aspect is huge. But then the spirituality thing. And, and he was he was very vague about what exactly his spirituality meant to him. But he he did say that it is a crucial part of the process. There has to be something outside of yourself. You, know, you can't just do this for yourself. That's that's a selfish thing to do. But if you have a power greater than yourself that you serve, then you can do anything, um, you know, and whatever your belief system is. So that was something that I thought was a great takeaway uh, from his discussion. And then he closed with with a point that I think not a lot of people would have said or, you know, I certainly wouldn't think this way before. But looking back now, I think it's true. He said, I am grateful for having spent 32 months in prison. He said, it's what I needed to become who I am now. Um, and I think that's a very profound statement. You know, I mean, it's it's something that not a lot of people know until they've gone through that type of, of struggle or, or similar. I mean, it doesn't have to be. I mean, obviously, not everybody's going to prison, but everybody has struggles in their life. And you need those struggles to become who you are. And you don't know how it's going to end up. So... For him to say that and to be standing in front of this group of people that that can affect change, you know, this this was a bunch of county commissioners and state people. The governor was there, people that can make rules about who needs to carry what in their ambulances and, and in their hospitals and, um, you know, how to confront this problem. 
to be so moved by him. It was it was a very, very emotional time and, and the speech was outstanding. If you have the opportunity to go hear him speak, I would definitely recommend it. You know, he does a great job. And he's funny too. I mean he definitely had some funny stories. Um, you know, it was very enjoyable. It wasn't all, you know, downtrodden and upset and, you know, horror stories like that, but it was definitely inspirational. Um you know, I personally haven't had that much interaction with addiction. Um, you know, I, I'm sure I have and haven't realized it. I know plenty of people who have had to deal with that at some level, uh, some more than others. Uh, and it, it's a tough thing. It really is. I mean, it, you know, for me to sit back and say, Oh, you, you shouldn't do that. Or, you know, anybody can come through it or whatever that that's ridiculous. I, I'm not in any position to tell anybody that I don't know what they're going through. I don't know how they deal with it. You know, I've seen people come back and, and be live amazing lives, um, you know, and then there's other people who don't. And, and I don't I, I can't tell you what the difference is because, you know, I'm not a <laughs> I'm not a specialist in that field. Um, but I do know that that the people I've seen come back, you know, truly live those three words, that accountability, spirituality and community. And and that's what helps them get through. Um, so if you have the chance, you know. Listen to Ryan Leaf talk. I'm sure he has some YouTube videos or something, but look him up. It's definitely worth it. Um, I apologize if this was kind of a down subject, but I was just so moved by the speech and, and I wanted to discuss it. And, and I hope it kind of opens people's eyes to, you know, what's going on out there. And, and it's it's not just, you know, the dirty drugs or whatever, however we perceive them that are that are affecting our society. It, it's it's a lot of other things. So, um you know, take some time, do some research, check it out for yourself. Uh, I sure do appreciate everyone listening to the show. If you like it, you know, jump on iTunes or, or however you listen and give us a review. Let me know what topics you might want to hear or if uh, if I'm doing a good job or if I'm doing a terrible job, ways I can improve. I'm always looking for that kind of feedback. So thanks again. I look forward to talking to you later. Take care. Bye. I love